Welcome to the Conversion Tracking Playbook, where we share how to overcome tracking challenges that e-commerce brands face today and real-world examples of transforming data into insights. Now my intro joke is going to fail on this, John. Welcome back to another episode of the Conversion Tracking Playbook. I'm your co-host, Brad, and you have John here, and we have a special guest, Stockton. My joke was, John just solved the getting conversion rate by events for all of the behavior events using ChatGPT, and that's going to be a headline for this podcast to get a million clicks and downloads. The joke doesn't go over the second time, and this is the second episode I've had to do this from our having to restart. Anyways, Stockton is here to drop a ton of knowledge on all of you. Stockton, welcome, and give everyone a quick intro on yourself. Thank you. Super happy to be here. So I work for a measurement agency. So think, you know, all we do every day is this type of measurement work where we separate things in sort of front end and back end measurement, where front end would be like your GTM, your GA4 type setups, where you're tracking the behaviors on the website and conversion tracking and all those pieces. And then back end where it gets more into just all the other systems pulling into BigQuery and then doing joins there to answer business questions and things like that. So heavily into BigQuery on that end, you know, using services like Fivetran, pull an ad spend in or connect to Shopify. And just the goal we always tell people is get it into BigQuery and the sky's the limit. We can do wonders from there. So that's how we work with clients all day, every day is setting up all those systems, front end, back end, and building Looker Studio reports. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I'm excited for you to share. We are going to be doing a screen share. So if you're listening to this, this will also be on YouTube. Uh, I haven't quite figured out. Maybe we can stream it through Spotify as well. But anyways, there will be a video portion as we get into the screen share where Stockton is going to show us how to do things. With that, so Stockton and I have known each other four and a half years. We got we we're GTM server side nerding out four years ago when it first came out, just doing a lot of stuff, just trying to figure out what it was and how to do things. But more recently in our Slack, I can't remember how it started, but I don't know if you're giving me crap or or maybe you're just giving like the internet crap of what's the everyone's answer to GA4? Oh, just use BigQuery and everything uh, will magically work. And then you're like, well, everyone says that, but no one's actually showing or doing it. It's just like, oh, I'm just going to say BigQuery is the my default answer to how to make GA4 reporting work. So that's that's how this came about. So you can come on and do a show and tell for us. So thank you for taking time out of your, your day to do that. Before we, in, in intraday in the real-time reporting, we we're, again, joking around before that. That's the, we get that question very often in support of, you know, LOVAR sucks. Our reporting is delayed by 24 hours. Why did you break everything? I'm a little bit tongue-in-cheek, uh, but that has happened before where uh, it's just a different, it's UA it was much more real-time or intraday updated and GA4, there's that 24 more often 48 hour delay, which there's not too much that providers like us can do about that. You mentioned before we get into the screen share, wanting, wanting to start with going through the downsides of GA4 UI for reporting. So I'm just going to tee that one up for you, Stockton. Yeah, I think the whole conversation, around, like, you know, Obviously, there's things that we like and don't like about GA4. And, you know, some people are on the fence of GA4 is the greatest thing since sliced bread. It's event level. And, like, you could do all these fancy things. And then the other people who maybe, you know, I would like to think they're more actually in it, more practitioners trying to use it. And they're like, but what about all these limits? Like, what about this and this and this? And everyone's just like, GA4. And then they're like, oh, but the greatest thing is BigQuery. And we're like, 
BigQuery, hurrah, now you have this event level data that you couldn't get before and all these things. So it, it's always been a joke because we see that out on you know the internets and LinkedIn and everyone's, everyone who says BigQuery, we would try and challenge them and say, show me your, like, show me how, like, sh- like I don't believe you. <laughs> show me how you're actually using BigQuery because it's, it's also quite complicated. There's lots of nuance there and, and we'll get into it. But some of like, I think there's a lot of strong cases for BigQuery, whether that's intraday or just the events table in general. First one is it's virtually free and super easy to set up. So if we talk about just cost for a second, I'll, and before we get into like the points, there's the normal export, which is just your daily events. And those don't, that table, if you only have, if you're in the GA4 UI and you go to admin, you select BigQuery, there's two kind of tables you can select. The first one will only populate once uh, a day, right? So a daily thing will report. It's not real time. It's you'd have to come back tomorrow to see today's type of data. And the second one is the streaming. So the streaming one is near real time. I mean, it is pretty dang fast. It is within seconds. If someone visits your website, you can go and look inside the intraday table and see their their event. There's a small cost to it. So there's a, there's a cost factor, but that's also pretty nominal. So what they've said is it's about 10 cents per gigabyte sent. And they've said that a gigabyte is roughly, this is just Google's support doc estimation, Roughly 600,000 events. So the limit for streaming is actually 1 million events per day. So if you think, okay, 10 cents per 600,000, I can only have a million. So like max I'm going to spend is 20 cents a day on streaming data to BigQuery. So small cost, but it is there, you know, on that side of things. So lots of like pros. I think everyone should just set it up because, hey, you'll probably want in the future, wink, wink, 14 limit data retention policy that Google Ads or Analytics has. Lots more like use cases there. Okay. So what are some other reasons why you would actually want to use BigQuery instead of the GA4 UI? And this is not even necessarily strictly tied to intraday type stuff. But one of the big limitations is that 24 to 48 hour processing time. So if you wanted to see like from five hours ago, your toast. In fact, the only type of real time reporting that you would have inside of the, the UI is that 30 minute report. So if you go to reports, they have one called real time, and then it shows some data from the past 30 minutes. But even that has kind of some nuances that we'll get into. So you, you essentially have 30 minute window. If you want to see past that, your toast for the same day, unless you have BigQuery. In general, though, when reporting, when looking at reports in the GA4 UI, there's there's a few things that like I've noticed. One of the biggest downsides I would say is related to landing page reporting. So landing page reporting is really strange. A lot of times in the reports, all you'll actually see is the like page path, right? So you have the forward slash and Let's say you have a blog.mysite.com and you have store.mysite.com and you have mysite.com and you're like, okay, let's analyze landing pages. All you see is homepage. It's not immediately apparent like, oh, which homepage is this? They're all grouped together across all the different sites. So what's missing is host name in that, in that scenario. So you know, in the good old universal analytics days, we would create a filter and we would prepend the host name to all the event page paths. Or just the page pass, and then we'd have you know everything broken out nicely for us in some of those filtered views and 
everything was right in the world. So that's like a huge actual limitation. If you're a website that has multiple domains, multiple host names, I should say, then when you're looking at forward slash or homepage, it's all grouped together. So if you're a headless site, a headless site where the Shopify checkout's on the checkout.yourdomain.com, if you are if you have landing pages that are on a subdomain where you might be using pack or webflow or unbalance or some some other landing page that's often a subdomain. I was just talking to, to somebody about that today, actually. That is they need to realize that that break up those different views or add that the page path plus query parameter, query string. Perfectly teed up the next the next problem, which is query string. You owe me 20 bucks. <laughs> so if you're running Facebook ads and like one of the parameters, so Fun fact, one of the lesser known UTM parameters is just UTM underscore ID, which is supposed to correspond to like a campaign ID. Let's say your Facebook ads are set up to pass UTM underscore ID in the UTM parameters. Every time that someone clicks from one of your ads from a different campaign, there's going to be a different ID. You're going to have a different combination of UTMs. Your page paths are going to be broken again. You're, you're not going to have that nice clean view to say, show me all pages that are just the homepage. You're going to have ID one, two, three, you're gonna have a second row of ID four, five, six, and it's just gonna be super fragmented that way. And that's another like huge limitation I find with the UI in being able to consolidate and combine your pages so you actually have the true page and not just the query string piece. But you can fix that in BigQuery, right? Yeah, you can. Well, all of these things are limitations that BigQuery can overcome. So it's kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm sticking the problem in your face so that you're now aware of it and you're like, oh, we need a solution for it. <laughs> That's a problem that Universal Analytics had solved, right? Like we had a way to filter out those URL parameters and prevent that fragmentation. And now we're back in the world of these crazy reports with like a million different pages that are really the same page, which is very unfortunate. <laughs> Yeah, again, I think, you know, we would use filters and views to be able to strip the URLs off, prepend host name, like clean up things a little bit more. And now we don't. So it's unfortunate that the default reports do have some of those big glaring, almost unusable, like real, like a lot. I have that conversation a lot with myself and coworkers and sometimes clients is like, these these reports are not like, are they even useful? Can you actually get information? Like anyway, (laughs) different rabbit holes there. Back away from the ledge. <laughs> yeah. So other, you know, limitations. So 48-hour thing, the 30-minute. If you're looking in the 30-minute just report, it's really just kind of like a hit counter type stuff. So it'll show you the first user traffic source, which we're going to get into users because that is the most confusing thing known to man when we start talking about users. Like, what is a user? And then when you throw in dates in that mix, you're like, oh man, okay. So if it's a session and I'm looking at the last week stuff, but then I have a, like, where the, was the user active during this month? Or like, am I like, did the user join last month? Or so, whole different thing. So they'll give you like first user source, they'll give you page locations. So you can have like a hit counter, be like, oh, my collection page is getting a lot more hits, but you don't know where they came from necessarily. You have an event count. So an event counter, you just say, hey, like, here's all the events that happened in the last 30 minutes. And you have a number of conversions. So you can see, hey, there was 15 purchases in the last 30 minutes. We're doing pretty pretty sweet. But you don't have any of that performance. You don't have any ability to tie in, be like, okay, how is Facebook ads doing? What are the actual landing pages, not just page locations, things like that. So those type of reports, even though they have them in the 30-minute sort of window built into GA4, you can't tie those together necessarily. So the next kind of point to that is this concept 
of sessionization, right? It's taking these event level things and being able to aggregate them at different levels. So there's user levels where you could say like, okay, let's look at how people come to our site from the user perspective, not necessarily like this landing page of this session. So you can look at first user type stuff or last user type stuff, or there's the session level. So then you actually have session dimensions where you can see landing page, source, medium, campaign, con- what, how many purchases in that session were tied to different combinations of UTMs and that sort of stuff. And then you have event level scope, and then there's technically an item level scope. So there's lots of different scopes happening here. And that was, I think, something Initially, when GA4 was launched, they're like, oh, sweet, it's event level. You know, everyone's happy about event level stuff. And then they started making changes. They like brought in scope things. And now then things broke when you're trying to mix item level scopes and session level scopes. And let's not even get into user level scope stuff. So then that is more, more complexity. So the worst part about that is you don't even know when you have a report that it might not break. If it broke, that would be awesome. But if if you don't know that the scopes are being mixed and you're not getting the data that you think you're getting, that that's frustrating. That's a really good point, actually. I yeah, they I would love to see a warning like, hey, you are mixing scopes right here. So the data you're looking at is probably not even close to being accurate. It's a good Chrome extension. Someone some someone might make a Chrome extension for that. I just want to go back and summarize some of the the GA4, just we're getting in the weeds a little bit here, but downsides of GA4 UI. So the landing page reports, that was one. The real-time report, again, it's, it's basically a hit counter, which I agree. It's uh, every, every time I try to look at that and extract some sort of information, for lack of a better term, or insights, it was like, okay, I don't, there's really nothing I can do here because I can't tie things together. I can't tie conversion rates or things of that matter. User, so user scope reporting and how does that work? Mix scope, so like the mixed scopes and reporting, that's another one. Did I miss any? Miss any? They just went through. What about cardinality, Stockton? Oh yes, cardinality, cardinality. So cardinality, like I'll, if uh, let me try and remember the the exact simple definition is where you have a dimension that has received more than five hundred unique values in a day. So that doesn't apply to standard dimensions like source, medium campaign. But if you had a custom dimension of, let's say, affiliate ID, and you get more than 500 unique values of affiliate IDs per day, then you're going to have this concept of cardinality, which is where they're going to truncate results. They're going to group things together and not give you like the full, almost event level stuff. They're going to kind of group things together. So cardinality is definitely a fun one. And it affects the API as well, by the way. So if you're ever in like a Looker Studio report built off the GA4 UI, you'll see tables that sometimes say truncated, or I forget the exact terminology, but basically all your data goes to one row and it says like hidden. And you're like, wow, I was just about to show this to a client. Now I look bad. So yeah, I think, you know, the obvious one that you missed is the 24 to 48 hour delay. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And that's like scarred in the back of my head. Yep. That one's always there. So I guess like if we're in the in like the vein of real-time reporting, right? The conversation kind of becomes around, okay, do the people need something that shows them real-time reporting, maybe beyond just a hit counter in the last 30 minutes? That do they have requirements? And and I'd love to ask you guys this, because you have a much higher purview with more, you know, 
D2C clients and things like that. Like, do people need session type data beyond 30 minutes? And who would be the type of person who would want to use such a report? Yeah, we've talked about this a, a few times on previous episodes. In short, it's e com D2C brands that are very high volume, high spend on a day and making intraday budget decisions. And it could be down to a creative, it could be an ad set, it could be cross-channel campaigns. And I've, John, I don't know if you've heard this on your own, but I, I hear more people just trying to use the Shopify report, the native Shopify analytics, because there is the session data. You do get campaign data, performance, product performance, revenue per campaign, location, refers. So you, you get all of that. I'm looking at it right now. You get returning customer rate. So I, I think whether there's an argument of is that useful or not? I, I don't know. And we don't necessarily need to get into that since I'm not a practitioner and I'm not spending $100,000 a day. And I, if I was, I probably would be one of those people that falls in the bucket where I need to make sure that we're not blowing 50K on a campaign that we know we know by 10 a.m. isn't going to perform. So I think that coupled with the delays that we've seen in Facebook specifically, Google Ads, we, we, we there's maybe, maybe getting a little bit better, but just talk Facebook, the, that intraday performance reporting Again, it's, it's gotten better since the first year or two after iOS 14, but that was another reason is you don't really know how performance is for 24 to 48 hours or seven days because the the modeling hasn't kicked in. So I think our, our customer base very much, I would say majority, they want to know how their intraday performance is going. And historically, they would use universal analytics. Maybe now they're going to some some other tools like the Northbeam, Triples, Dacities, et cetera. We're doing, you're doing building, building your own reporting on, on top of BigQuery. I've seen the same thing, people going to Shopify and using the reports there. But the thing is, it's the same. There's a similar problem over there where those reports have these weird quirks. And then you're dealing the, with the weird quirk over in Shopify now. We just talked to a company called Tido that kind of cleans up some of those quirks for companies. And they went through a litany of problems with the Shopify report. So it's like, okay, just give us, just give us the raw data. Like, can we stop bouncing from platform to platform trying to get to the root of it? You know? And you kind of brought up that some clients are even using different solutions like Snowplow and Snowflake, and they have their own kind of different data architectures. Like one client that we worked with, they they were using Fivetran to extract data from Universal and then building their own like BigQuery models off of that into their Snowflake database, things like that. And then they're like, oh, we'll just do the same with GA4. And it's like, well, if you do that with GA4, you're going to have to use the API, which means it's not actual event level type stuff. So really, the link between GA4 and BigQuery is the only way to get event level data, which is actually pretty cool. So yeah, I kind of figured the same, like there's three almost personas that I feel like would want to use an intraday report. One of them is the CEO, you know, he's got a Shopify tab and his other screen is dedicated just to a Shopify analytics and he's watching all the sales come in and, you know, the revenue for the day and where they pace hourly and all that sort of thing. So like they may want to tab into that behavior stuff, right? What's happening on the website is anything not, you know, just from a high level, I guess. Then you might have your CRO practitioners who are like, hey, we're going to ship a new feature where we're testing a different product block and trying different variations and putting popcorn pricing or you know just different different features, any, any feature they were going to push. And if they push it live, then it may go dark, right? Like what if something didn't work? And if you have five hours of downtime, how much revenue could that cost 
potentially, right? So like that could be a really strong use case, almost as all of these are almost limiting factors, right? It's, it's being able to mitigate risk. Um, and then the media buyer as well. You know, if they're pushing new campaigns, new landing pages, new funnels, you want to be able to see how those are cranking out real time as opposed to having to wait for Facebook's reporting to come back in or just G4 to model that for you. So yeah, I feel like there is, you know, potential, but there's the the cost of building such a report. So there's the nominal cost of just the streaming, but then there's the real cost of human hours, right? Who's going to be the one to link this to BigQuery? What's your visualization? You got to do all those different pieces to connect it in. And if you're writing queries, you know, queries definitely get quite complex, unless you're using ChatGPT. Like, actually, I find it pretty good for simple queries, but when you start getting into like some more of the complex query topics, like common table expressions and doing analytic functions and things like that, it seems to break down a little bit. Should we get into show and tell? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So what I want to show first is um, more of the simple type, like hit counter type report, and it's going to be using the BigQuery intraday table. And this is a solution that wouldn't require any type of SQL knowledge or things like that. It would require some knowledge of how the table inside of BigQuery is formatted, you know, what they would call the schema of it, just to understand like, hey, there's event parameters, and that's a repeated nested object. And you have to look in this column with this row to find something. So like, we'll get into that little bit of nuance there. But this would be more of the hit counter type report, it wouldn't necessarily have any source attribution, like session source in particular, like a session source is where it gets a little crazy. So let me share my screen then. And we'll go over I'll show you how to rebuild this. And while he's pulling that up, the process of linking your GA4 property to BigQuery, it's in your property settings. It's a couple buttons. You just have to make sure you have a Google Cloud account. You link, which again, you, it's a very simple UI to walk through and you just click a button and connect. Yeah, it's it's super easy. It's I think you have the choice, Stockton, of doing intraday or like you said, intraday or the previous couple days. Like there's two options in there, but it, it's it's like click button stuff. There's, there's nothing really to do. And then when that's done, one thing that I've have been frustrated with is when you turn all that on, it's not there right away. So you can turn it all on and you go searching for it. It doesn't show up. You're digging around in BigQuery and it's not there. It's taken me, sometimes I think it's taken up to three days. I don't know what you typically see, Stockton, but just just a note that don't expect it to be there right away. Turn it on, come back in a couple of days and it should show up. Yeah, definitely the initial link takes that time. So if you're like, we need this today, that's actually a, a, a limitation. You won't get it today <laughs> if, you, if it's your first time linking it, for sure. So, okay, I'm going to share my window then. And first screen that you should see, this one right here. So this is a Looker Studio report, and it's connected to an intraday table. Now, I want to show how to rebuild some of these scorecards and the nuances between it. The other things we're going to take a look at are what a report that has actual session data might potentially look like. So that's going to be this tab right here. And then actually some inside of BigQuery as well. So when you're inside of the BigQuery interface, then you'll be able to see kind of some different tables here and kind of over these people. Actually, let's start right here. So we need to understand a little bit around what the fields are that are available to us as soon as you link it and you have data starting to come in. 
you'll notice that you have inside of your BigQuery a project. And inside the project, you're going to have events underscore. And this corresponds to that daily table where it gets processed on a daily basis. And you'd have to wait till tomorrow for it to populate here. Then you have this events underscore intraday. And this is the streaming table. So this is where the data gets sent to in almost real time. Notice the numbers here. So this one says 52. This one says 2. 52 refers to the number of days that it has in this table. So technically, this is a partition table where every single day is a different partition. So there's 52 partitions or 52 days. So here in the events intraday table, you could say like, hey, why is there two days worth of data in the same day table? And it's because Google will process it just at different times to kick it over into the events table. So sometimes you'll come in here and it'll just show one. You're like, great, that's today. Sometimes you'll go in and it'll show two. I've seen three even at sometimes. Actually, we had one client who for some reason, it wasn't ever going to events. So they had like 600 days worth of data in intraday, which is really wild. But yeah, so that's kind of the process is it will kick from intraday over to events and then the number corresponds to the days. Here, you actually have a drop down if you're previewing to see the days. So like, okay, we have year 2023, we've got today and yesterday available to us in the intraday tables. So that's where that works. And then this, if we look at the intraday table, for example, this is the schema, right? These are all the fields that are available to us that we can use to query. And there's some good stuff in here, right? So obviously the event name, we have every single row is going to be correspond to a single event, right? This is event level data. There's a ton of event params, which doesn't look like there's a ton. There's key and value. So that's going to be another topic on how to extract data out of event params to pull out things like source, medium campaign, content term, things like that. And then there's, you know, there's lots of others. If you don't actually have it set up, then you can connect to one of just the public data sets. So Google actually has a public data set that is GA4 data that you could play around with and test on if you didn't have so quick pause here. Any uh, Anything to note or just continue on? Maybe expand the event names. So we can look at event names, maybe user properties. Okay. Yeah, let me just actually click over to preview. And this will kind of show us what the data in the table looks like. You know, think of spreadsheets on steroids here. So every single row is to show one, and then it's really big, right? And then two, row two, row three. Each one of these rows are events. So we have the event name. Here's like first visit, session start, page view. And then within those rows, you have the different parameters. So when you're setting up a GA4 tag in GTM and you go to the event parameters little tab, and you can add multiple event parameters, that's what shows up right here. Now, fun fact to get around cardinality. <laughs> this is great. If you don't register the dimension inside of GA4, then the data obviously won't populate inside of GA4, but it will still flow to BigQuery. So if you are setting, for example, like Google tells you not to do this, they say don't set your own custom identifier, like session identifier, right? So let's say you have your own fingerprinting technology, just total random example here that assigns a person an ID and you wanted to pass that. You wouldn't create a dimension out of it inside of GA4 because one, that's against their rules for that specific use case. And two, you'd have a lot of high cardinality, right? So you'd have more than 500 unique events for that dimension per day. Don't register it as custom dimension, and it will flow into BigQuery. So there's pro hack tip number one. And if you had registered it Stockton, it wouldn't? It would still show. Like It would show in BigQuery, but then it would also show in GA4, which then you would have the issue of cardinality and things like that. Okay. 
So if you have a high cardinality dimension and you want to examine it in BigQuery, essentially don't register it in GA4. That's the takeaway. Yeah, exactly. It'll flow to BigQuery still. Yep. All of those come into this column here where it's called event params and the key, right? The key is the name of that parameter that you set up in GA4, for example, and these are the different values. The kind of an interesting concept to wrap your head around at first is this concept of different value types. So for example, when we look at this key that is called page location, then the corresponding value for that is under this column here that says string value. So the page location is a string value. So you kind of have to know these different types of data structures. So page location is a string, but then if we look at something like the session ID, that's not a string, that's actually an integer value. So we would have to look in a different place than we would be looking if we were grabbing something like page location. So the key you know, is all here, and then you have one, two, three, four different types of values that your data could be in depending on what type of data it is. Got it. And so I'm a little confused on that, actually. So where it says null under the string value, that's not necessarily that the session ID is null. It's just that the type of the value type is an integer and it shows up in the column over. Exactly. Yeah. So a lot of, you know, that'll happen a lot where you you try and do a query that grabs, you know, the string value for page location. And then you're like, okay, now I want to do the same thing for GA session ID. So you change it to GA session ID and then it's null. And you're like, what the heck? So then, yeah, you just have to change it to look in this column, look in this field instead of the one next to it. Float value, honestly, you don't see very much. Double value is where you would see like revenue type numbers. So value is a common property when you're setting up your like GA4 e-commerce tags and those would flow into this one that's called double value. So those are like the three main places to look. Page location for string stuff, integer value for like number type stuff, and double value would be more of like the revenue type information. From here, it goes on. You know, there's lots here actually that you, you can look into. There's things related to storage, right? If you have consent mode enabled, you can build that into your BigQuery models, custom user properties and things like that. So one thing that Elevar sets is, you know, this visitor type as a custom user property. So user properties flow into here. There's, you know, all sorts of different metrics and dimensions down to devices and your country, your location. This one's interesting if you're running web apps, right? You can see if they've limited ad tracking or not, what browser they're in. Super useful as we're coming up on iOS 17, which super glad you guys spearheaded that conversation to quell a lot of the misinformation going around. We got to share that podcast more because we're definitely seeing that. But here you can actually see, you know, in your actual data, what the impact potentially may be, even though there's no impact. So lots of different pieces here. The trick now is going to be, honestly, because we're not writing any SQL for this first part, is just knowing which one of those fields that we need to grab data from, right? If we want page locations, we need to know that it's in the string value. If we want to do a different count for one of the other pieces. So before I jump over into like replicating some of the report, any other questions on this? No questions. I think this is a good to tie back to one of our pod a couple of weeks ago where we used actually used that analogy that it's BigQuery, you think Excel, like giant Excel table. So I think seeing this is very helpful for for those that may have listened to that that previous episode. But I think the takeaway for non-technical listeners is they're not going to do anything in here other than maybe explore and see, okay, what are what's the potential data that we have available that 
we can build reporting on that is not readily available inside of BigQuery. But for the technical folks that might be responsible for getting in, playing around, building these reports, this is uh, I think this would be super this is super valuable for them just to see how the structure works. But no questions, just the summarization. So let's start off with maybe just some of like these high level like pieces here. So these, like I said, are going to be more of just your hit counter type stuff. What it would look like to start a Looker Studio report and be able to get to this point where we're about to be is you would go to your resources, then go to add a data source, and you're going to choose BigQuery. Okay. From here, you're going to choose your projects. So you can choose from different, you know, sortings of projects, shared, my projects, public data sets. But choose your project, choose the data set. One thing you'll know is that the data set always corresponds to your property ID inside of GA4. So here where it says 30122, blah, 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 that's going to correspond to the property ID that you have in your side of GA4. And then you'll notice a few tables here. The one we're interested in is going to be this events underscore intraday table. And this lets us know that it's the one that has streaming data and not the daily kind of one. And then we can choose events as a template. Then we're going to hit add. And this will just get us ready. You know, if you're starting from scratch on a new Looker Studio report, you want to be able to get to this point. That's how you do that. From here, it's going to be a matter of dragging just some pieces out and doing some filters. We're going to be using filters a lot to get these sort of answers. So let's drag this up. And now we're in Looker Studio. Just for those that may not be watching or listening, we are inside of Looker Studio, aka Google Data Studio. And essentially you're doing the same thing that if you had connected Google Analytics as a source where you have metrics, dimensions, and creating filters. That's essentially what Stockton is showing here, except the data source is BigQuery instead of the GA4 data source. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So not Looker, you know, to be confused with the expensive platform. This is free Looker Studio. So here we go. We're going to add just a scorecard, for example. And in this scorecard, we want to populate it with, oh, there we go, an event count. It's going to pre-count that for us. What this is telling us, again, is a total number of events that have happened in all of the intraday tables. So that is an important kind of nuance there is however many tables you have here at this moment is what it's querying across all of them. So like technically, if I'm looking at this right now, we're looking at two days worth of data and there's not a way to sort of filter that down. With this method, you get a hit counter for however many days are in your intraday table. Currently it's two. So this is the total event count. I'm just gonna control copy, control V, I'm on a Mac, actually, so command. And we're going to change this to event name is going to be our new metric here. And we're going to change the aggregation to be count. And then in order to get a very specific event here, we're going to use a filter. So what I want to show is the page views. So we're going to slide it over here. So we want a count of page views that have happened in this intraday piece. So we're going to come down to add a filter. We're going to click this. We're going to create a new filter. What I like to do in naming conventions is kind of use just letters to correspond to what I'm doing. So I'm going to say I for this is a filter that includes a field. That field is going to be event name. And the condition is it equals page view. So that's how I like to do my filter. So I can always, you can kind of see in this list back here, you know, it's easy, it's easy to recognize what's happening in the filter. So include event name that equals page view. Okay, so there we go. 
now we are going to have a count of page views that have happened in this intra, like across all the intraday tables. So one thing you may notice here is like, hey, how come these are different? One thing to mention in terms of the actual data source settings is I'm going to click this little pencil icon to go back to the data source settings. Or additionally, you can find it from resource manage added data source. So this first one, this one here that we previously worked on. So this, this top one here is the one we just added. We're going to go to edit. And one setting that's pretty important to change here is this data freshness. So click on data freshness, change it to custom. And that means it will re-query it every one minute. So you have real time up to like one minute. So we exit out there, hit reload on the data. Now everything should be refreshed. These should match. So repeat that process for any of the events that you are interested in having, right? So if, it, if the event name is view item, then what you're going to do is you're going to put event name as the metric. You're going to go to count. So you can kind of see here, this source field was event name. I renamed it to be view item. And then you do a filter. So you say, only show me count of events where the event name equals view item. And repeat that for all of the events. Could be your standard events, could be your custom events, begin checkout, purchase, any of those pieces. And bada boom, bada bam, there you have a nice hit counter, basically, of all of your events. So one of the biggest downsides I'd say with this is that it's just like, it's not really time bound, right? It's going to be across the entire day. One way to mitigate that a little bit is to add in a date filter, right? So if we add in a date range control, we can default this to only show today. And in that case, it will only show today. But again, you're still looking at the data from the entire day, not really broken down by minutes or things like that. Can you use the, the date stamp to create line graphs so to actually make it more time series based? Great question. Let's see if we can. So let's add a chart. We're going to use maybe a time series. Just throw this on top of everything. Let's use the event time. Event time. Hmm. The only way this would work, so let's actually transform this into, we need, to, we need to check the data first that we have available to us. If we look at our dimension for like time or timestamps, we we'll see what we have available to us. So we have the event time, event previous time, event time is the same there, event time offset, first touch time, that's all we have. So in this method, the results returned to us are actually grouped at the day level as well. So it doesn't give us the event the timestamp of the event the date stamp doesn't go down to oh there it goes i just had to click on it so here we go eight there we go yes yeah, so now so that again if you're not watching what we're doing here is taking your real-time data and recreating potentially visuals that you might be used to seeing or reporting you might be used to doing universal analytics doing this in data studio so without going through that whole process of recreating everything to me this is very much a step one meet with your team or if it's just you what do I need to look at today? Like, what is the minimum viable reports or graphs or charts or data, whatever it might be? What do I need to look at today? Step two, go through, okay, is that data possible? Or how do I want to visualize that data? Do I just want counts? Do I want line graph to give you trend, trend analysis over the day? Do I want bar graphs, funnels, whatever it might be? And then the next step is going to be, okay, is that data available in... Looker Data Studio. So if it's looking at, I don't know, like an item, a product item added cart, can we filter down to a specific product? Or can you look at a specific landing page or something like that? So then it's determining, okay, can we recreate, do we have that data available inside uh, Looker D Data Studio from BigQuery? 
And then it's a matter of going through and creating those. So at the upfront, there's more upfront work and prepping and planning and making sure you have it. But then once you create it, then like you were just showing a couple of minutes ago, it's you can set the refresh time to be every minute. So it's like you do it once and it's there. It's done. Did I buy enough time to do the line graph? Yeah. So this, yeah, exactly. So this now shows up if we were to rename this actually to be page view. So now we have our page view graph for today showing us the the trend of that. So we could actually change this filter. So again, you know, we're using filters. So let's add a new filter that I've already created, which is going to be for event name of purchase. So now we're going to have our line graph of that. And let's make sure we come up here, event name purchase, change this rename to be purchase. There you go. So now we have our line graph of every minute that a purchase has happened. So it's not aggregated very well. Maybe potentially what we could do, instead of date and time, we could re-aggregate this to be at the hour. Yeah, hour. That's what I was going to Oh, beautiful. Except for the green. It looked better in purple. Yeah, styling is up to you. That's the nice part. <laughs> yeah, I'm, my, my brain's immediately going to, okay, now... It's going to be, how do we recreate conversion rate? So you can still do the same things in Data Studio, where if you wanted to create two data points, blend or merge them together, then create a calculated metric, you can do all those same things in that you might be used to in Data Studio, correct? There's no limitations that just because it's a BigQuery data source. Mm -hmm. And that actually, it actually adds a lot of more flexibility because of the the data model that's behind it. You can re-aggregate metrics, you can aggregate dimensions even, so you have more flexibility. But yeah, definitely, you can just create a custom, like this one might be a little hard to see, um, but essentially it's a function, right? So it's just show me the purchases over sessions, right? And that's effectively giving us that e-commerce conversion rate, so to speak. And if you wanted to break it down even further, you know, here's your view item to add to cart rate, so or sorry, view to buy rate. So this would just change to be purchases over view item. And here you have your ads, add to cart over purchases, right? So what we could also do is throw these on graphs, right? So they're now plotted over time, aggregated at the hour or whatever. And then you have your sort of not hard numbers of like, oh, we need 50, right? It's more of the the trends and patterns when you convert it to a percentage and all those that sort of thing. So that's more in the you know data visualization strategy piece, I guess, of how it's the most useful to visualize something versus how to actually just show get the data. And is that something that you all help with? Of just creating, like going through those steps that I outlined of the, okay, what do you need? Is the data available? Can we re recreate it here and then create it? Yeah, actually. So that's like most like what we do on a daily at the agency, if that's what you're referring to. Yeah, we go through the entire process from the data collection. Because one thing, you know, uh, you know, speaking to a point that we, when you were on with Simo on the podcast was, you know, someone would need to know the beginning from the end in order to be the best person in the driver's seat for this type of thing. So we start from the very beginning with the data collection and the, and the business strategy and go all the way down to the final visualization. Ideally, we'd like to, you know, hop on like weekly calls with the marketing team or whoever it is to help them answer questions. Like the biggest thing we always try and get out is does your report give you direction to your questions? And it's not just all the vanity metrics and things like that because sometimes those get yeah. weighed, you know, weighed down. I think it's interesting to watch you do this. I mean, it's easy to watch over the shoulder of an expert and say it looks easy, but it, it this does not look all that different from the process of connecting Looker to 
universal analytics or some of the connectors that lots of people are familiar with. Like this is this is a very similar process. And on top of that, it's even more clear because you can actually see what's coming in in BigQuery. Like it's really, really clear. So I know I've had many problems in, in Looker where I just, I can't solve things or Looker chokes on stuff. But when you know exactly what's coming into the system, makes it makes things less stressful, at least from, from my perspective. And then the other cool thing about this is, you're showing the tables directly, but you could actually, if you wanted to get really crazy, you could transform these tables, add stuff to them, and use those as the 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 source in Looker, right? Yeah, I mean, the beauty is... That's part two. So, if, yeah, if you have your Shopify data in here as well as just another data source, then one, you could either blend it in BigQuery itself or you could blend it in Looker Studio. And, you know, one really popular report is the MER report, where you have all of your channels broke, like the spend for that day, and then the new customers you acquired that day and the total customers you acquired, right? And you're supposed to use that to correlate and get your marketing efficiency ratio and say like, okay, we made this much revenue is three times our ad spend. So our MER is 3X type thing, right? And that's that's the perfect use case for something like this, where you blend those sources together, you get an output that can potentially give you direction, right? If we're like, oh, we dip to a one, we need to go analyze what's happening. So. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we're on 50 minutes. We're, we haven't broken the record for the longest pod yet. However, I have a feeling we're going to get a lot of requests to do another one and just basically start, probably start here. I think for those still listening, my biggest takeaway that I would have for the non-technical is you don't even need to log into BigQuery to to create your real-time reporting or any report. It doesn't have to be real-time. The focus was on real-time or, or intraday, I should say. You just connect it and then you go to data, uh, Looker Data Studio. I'm still going to call it Data Studio and just start building there or have, you know, basically give your direction on what to build there. So it, it kind of, to me, it removes the scariness of BigQuery. Like, I don't, I'm not technical. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what tables are outside of the one that my computer sits on where I eat at. Bad jokes. I don't even get laughs, laughs from you guys on that one. Must be a delay. Must be a data delay. All right. Well, Stockton, I think we'll, we'll hit you up after to see if you're interested in doing a part two and just get deeper into it. John, I know you, you want to get into the conversion rate event data. I think that could probably be one of its own. I got to pick up my kids. It was our first day of school and they're going to be there till last minute, five, five o'clock pickup. <laughs> Thanks, Stockton. It, it was awesome to have you. You're, you're, you're great with teaching. And I think like my, my takeaway is similar in that just it's really, it's really all easy to start with this stuff. It's easier than people think. And what Brad said is so bang on. Like you, SQL shouldn't be that scary, I don't think. But you, if you are super scared of it, you don't even have to touch it and you can still build some of these reports. So pretty interesting stuff. Okay, shameless plug. What we've gone over is more just hit level, like counting type stuff. What we've done actually is build like a really robust report that you can just copy and have and it will connect to your BigQuery with some pretty advanced queries. So we bought the domain ga4realtime.com. So by the time this goes out and you visit that, you'll have uh, ability to download like a report and it will plug and play with session night. So one top, we didn't even get on this. We could have gone another episode on this. The concept of sessionization, right? And, and how to actually define a session because in UA, UTMs would create a new session. 
they don't anymore. So as dimensions change, you have to now look for the first or the last value of that dimension in the session. Anyway, we won't go off it. So go to j4realtime.com and you can have a free report that we built. And if you need personalized help, we can do that too. <laughs> yeah. Invest in that. I mean, how much is real-time reporting or intraday reporting or just robust reporting if it's very meaningful for your business? Invest, invest in the best and getting the somebody's built out. So Stockton, thanks for uh, coming on. We're going to do a phase two or a part two. And John, I'm thinking maybe we build a workbook like a workbook for the summit where we go through in one of the sessions, because this will be close to one of the sessions of like that process to go through and before you get to Looker Studio of how to go through and ideate and build your requirements. But anyways, got to run. Thanks, Stockton. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Conversion Tracking Playbook. In order to help spread the word and just support the podcast, if you enjoyed this episode, share it on Twitter, share it on LinkedIn, send it to colleagues, or just send me feedback. I love reading feedback. I appreciate it. Many of the guests that have been on here, they've just emailed saying, hey, I'd love to join. Here's some topics. That could be you. Just shoot me an email or hit me up on LinkedIn. My email is brad at getallofar.com. And if you enjoy this podcast and you want to give us a rating, I would appreciate that as well. You can rate us on Spotify, Apple, wherever you are listening to this. But at the end of the day, if you could just share this and let others learn more about the world that you live in, the world that I live in with e-commerce and conversion tracking, I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.